Our reading today is from Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separate you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. She was an ordinary woman, living an ordinary life. Her marriage had its ups and downs, but was okay. She had two children, a boy and a girl. Well, actually, she had four children, but two of them had miscarried. She was juggling part-time work as an accountant and sharing with her husband the homeschooling responsibilities during lockdown. Plus caring for her in-laws, her own parents had died just before she got married. Life was a bit tough at the moment. She wasn't sure where God was in the midst of all of this. She had faith and was trying to live her life in relationship with God. And she trusted that God was at work in her life, but she couldn't quite see it. She was an ordinary woman and had lived an ordinary life. Her husband had just, tried, had just decided to stop eating. He was 88, and it was time. He'd lived a good life as a doctor. He'd studied theology before transitioning into medicine. As she reflected on his life, she could see that God had been working in him and through him as he treated his patients and as they had journeyed together in faith. She could see that God had used her as a scientist to care for the environment, the world that he created. Looking back, she could recount the ways in which God had clearly done little things in their lives as they brought up their four children, things that seemed coincidences at the time. But looking back, she could see God's hand. There were too many of them, too many answers to prayer. She'd always wondered at the time what God was doing through the ups and downs of their lives. With hindsight, she could see his handiwork, and she marveled at how he chose to be with them, ordinary people with ordinary lives. Well, this week, we're starting a new series looking at the story of Ruth. This story is set during the time of the Judges, where Israel had turned away from God. Following the death of Joshua, who had faithfully served God, we read in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And the last verse of Judges states, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. There was infighting. And even many of the judges who were appointed to keep the law were bad. The book of Judges is full of the most horrendous things that the people did in those times. Our story is set in Judah and Moab which are located either side of the Dead Sea. 
There's ongoing animosity and tension between these two peoples, with blood and gore aplenty. Reading about the interactions between these neighbors and of the general human behavior at the time is not for the faint-hearted. However, our story is in sharp contrast to the general narrative of the time. It can be seen as bridging the gap between the godlessness of the times and God's solution to come. In this story, we will see how God takes ordinary people into his purposes and uses them in inexplicable ways in terms of the ordinary. We will have the benefit of hindsight in reading this story, of seeing the bigger picture consequences of the seemingly ordinary events, and hopefully we will be encouraged that this God, whose handiwork we see in the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, is also at work in our lives, even if we can't see it for now. Today we're looking at Ruth, chapter 1, a chapter full of dilemmas and decisions, and we'll be introduced to some of the characters of the story. Our first decision-maker is Elimelech. Living in the time of the judges with the people not following God's will for their lives, it's quite possible that the famine may have been an act of God's judgment through drought as a way to make the Israelites turn back to God. Elimelech has a dilemma. Does he stay where he is with his family and turn back to God, but with the risk that they might starve in the process? Or does he take his family off to a place with foreign gods and values in order to feed them? We're given no indication in this passage that Elimelech sought God, God's will in his decision-making. It appears that he was driven by a need to escape discomfort and death, ostensibly to care for his family. But to what end? He dies anyway, far from home, as to his two sons, and his wife is left destitute and his daughters-in-law barren. As we think of Elimelech's decision-making process, it's important to note that this isn't just a decision like which is the better of two jobs to take or where to live and bring up your family. Elimelech was making a spiritual decision. Does his actions turn away from God or turn to God? The consequence of his decision was that he took his family away from their faith community and his sons ended up marrying outside of their faith, something forbidden in God's law. He moved his family from a place that God had designated as holy. There are many, many decisions that we make in life. Contrary to the opinion of some, God doesn't indicate anywhere that he has a specific plan mapped out for our life. He created us to have input into how our life pans out. So often we will have to make decisions where there is no right or wrong answer. The important thing to pray though, as we seek to discern which way to go is, which off option will enable me to glorify God? Which option will enable me to serve God? Which option will further God's kingdom? It's good to turn 
to God in our decision-making because then we will honor him whatever decisions we make. Our second decision-maker is Naomi. Naomi is in a vulnerable and precarious situation. She's living in a foreign land without husband or sons to protect her, nor has she been blessed with grandchildren. Her family had left the promised land searching for life and blessing, but in the end found only death and bitterness. The woman whose name means pleasant is brought to the place where she renames herself bitterness. As she asks herself the question, why did God let this happen to me? She reflects that God has turned his hand against her, that he has afflicted her and brought misfortune on her. Is this Naomi acknowledging that maybe the family moved to Moab was in disobedience to God? But maybe they had turned their back on God and this was his response. Notice though that she does not appear to be bitter, but that she has a bitter experience. Naomi hears news from her homeland, news that the famine has ended. This is one of only two mentions of God's actions in this whole story. It is seen that by God's grace, he has come to the aid of his people. They, like Elimelech and Naomi, had turned from him, but he had provided a way for them to experience his loving grace once again. So Naomi makes the decision to return to the land of Judah. This is a no-brainer. She had no means of survival in Moab, and while she wasn't guaranteed anything in her return to Judah, at least it was her homeland, and it was no longer a place of famine. There is no evidence of Naomi seeking God's guidance. This was an instinctive decision for survival. Sometimes our decisions are made for our survival, maybe to protect someone from immediate harm, maybe to escape abuse, maybe to save ourselves from addiction. Naomi's response to this news is good. Survival decisions are good. And in her response, she seems to have a renewed engagement with God. She seeks God's blessing on her daughters-in-law. Her faith, which has maybe lain dormant for a time, resurfaces. Even in the midst of her own suffering, she calls on God's covenant, covenant love to be bestowed on these women whom she clearly loves. And she gets to the point of trusting God, even though she has experienced these traumas. Like Job acknowledging her tears and pain and anger, she can say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There is honesty and yet trust in her words of acknowledgement of God. The Hebrew word shub that is used in verse 6 to describe Naomi's decision to return home is the main word used in the Old Testament for turning back to God's covenant, grace, and mercy. This is an indication that there is serious spiritual work going on here in Naomi's life. This return to God is as a response to God's gracious provision of food. God acted and Naomi responded to his grace. 
Like the prodigal son we heard about a few weeks ago, she responded to the father's outstretched arms. Well, Naomi's return gets the town's gossips going. It creates quite a stir. But whilst Naomi has returned to Bethlehem and God, it would appear that the townsfolk didn't quite show the hospitality that would be expected of them under God's law. There is no, Naomi, great to see you back. Come and stay with us. We'll look after you. Naomi is left to continue to fend for herself. Our third decision maker is Orpah. We don't know much about Orpah other than that she was widowed, childless, and had started off on the road with Naomi, her mother-in-law. So apparently she had a good relationship with her mother-in-law. She initially protests at Naomi's encouragement for her to return to Moab, but then she is convinced to follow Naomi's advice, and weeping, she bids farewell to Naomi. Orpah returned to her people and her gods. She went back to the comfort of the known and the hope of finding a husband to provide for her. She decided not to take the risk to follow Naomi and her God. How often do we make decisions that don't take us out of our comfort zone? Do we trust God as we step out into the unknown? Do we follow the world's wisdom or the wisdom of God? Our final decision maker in this passage is Ruth. Ruth married a foreigner. They didn't have children and then he died. Ruth clearly loved her mother-in-law and so when she suggests they move to Judah, she goes along with her. She leaves behind her own family, her gods, and everything that she has known in life, the familiar. She steps out into the unknown with a person she trusts. When Naomi encourages her to return to her home, reminding her that her best source of survival was likely to be there, she refuses. And so, somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem, there is a turning point. Orpah goes home, but Ruth continues on the path to Bethlehem. Orpah goes back to the Moabite gods, but Ruth commits to staying with Naomi and more than that, appears to convert. This is not just an expression of loyalty to her mother-in-law. She could have done that by just tagging along with her and saying nothing more. But she expresses her faith in God in verse 16. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Naomi has laid out for her the cost of discipleship. There's no guarantee of a husband, no guarantee of provision or security, no guarantee of children, no human hope in continuing on the journey with Naomi to Bethlehem. So Ruth makes this confession of faith, not blindly, but with understanding of the cost of such a decision. Ruth shows incredible courage, devotion, determination, and faith in these words to Naomi, this is not just a geographical turning point in the story. It's also a spiritual turning point, a point of conversion. And we know it's a conversion because did you recognize the words? 
Many times in the Old Testament, when God made his covenant with his people, he said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Ruth is clearly saying it is this God and no other to whom she is committing. So why is this book called Ruth and not Naomi? It seems to be Naomi's story up to now. And yet maybe the simple question of Naomi experiencing the death of her husband and sons and lack of progeny as a consequence of the sin of the family in leaving Judah and turning their back on God is not quite the whole story. Maybe through her suffering, something much bigger is happening. And maybe the working of God in her life will bring his purpose about through this suffering by by and through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. This would not have been an outcome that she could have even imagined, that this outsider, this foreigner, would be the person through whom God would change her fortune and the fortune of his people. Following the death of Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion comes the new spiritual life of this young woman, Ruth. This reminds us of a gospel truth that it is through death that we find the way to life. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 to 12, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Through the suffering of Jesus and his ultimate death on the cross, we have life, a life that is only foreshadowed in the story of Naomi and Ruth. Death worked in Naomi, and new life worked in Ruth. There are many people we know and who we've seen throughout time who have gone through times of suffering, intense suffering, for no apparent reason. However, like Naomi, God may be using their suffering to bring others to find Christ. Their suffering will bear fruit that will last for all eternity. Several times in our prayer times with Greg and Sharon, They have shared how they have been given the opportunities to have so many conversations with those who are caring for Greg about the hope that they have in Christ. Through their suffering, others are seeing Christ in them, the joy of salvation, and the peace that only comes from God. God is using them and their situation for his eternal purposes. We are ordinary people with ordinary lives. We have many decisions to make on a daily basis. In fact, we're making more decisions about basic things at the moment than normal. As we consider the decisions made by our four characters today, maybe we can learn something about the decisions we make. Which option will enable us to glorify God and serve him? Some decisions we make are needed for survival. Are we trusting God as we step out into the unknown, 
Or are we taking the safe option to stay in our comfort zone? Are we counting the cost of discipleship and following God anyway? Life had been hard for these people, and they had significant decisions to make that will impact their daily lives. But God in his grace provides for them and gives them hope in his ending of the famine. And we read in the last verse of this passage that the barley harvest was beginning. This appears to be a pointer to hope as well. Next week, we'll see what that means for Naomi and Ruth as the prodigal returns home and the foreigner adapts to her new religion and culture. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you choose ordinary people with ordinary lives to work out your purposes. As we make decisions, help us to consider how we might glorify and serve you. Help us to trust you, even if we can't see you at work. Remind us of your faithfulness, and in times of suffering and trial, enable others to see Christ in us, that they might come to know him for themselves. This we ask in Jesus' name, through whose death we have been given life. Amen.